I approach a retreat like this um, praying really big prayers. And I've prayed in relation to this theme of gratitude that, uh, that this would actually be something of a defining moment these next few days uh, in our lives individually and as a church that there would just be uh, an explosion of gratitude that takes place in our hearts and in the church that is not a temporary and fleeting thing, but that is something that would last and, and would endure. Um, I consider this retreat one of the most important events of the year, and so I want to thank you for, for being here. And the reason I consider it to be so important is because it is each one of you, it is this group of leaders and servants uh, who make this church what it is. There are, there are a lot of things that I thank God for in our church. I see a lot of the abundant grace of God throughout the church, but one of the greatest ways that we have experienced the kindness of God as a congregation is in the quality of mature men and women that we have uh, beyond pastors and pastor's wives and staff, beyond that in the church, in the men and women who use their time and their gifts to, to serve and to sacrifice. Um, and so I love you, I thank God for you, and I'm eager to share God's word uh, with you tonight. We're going to, to look at David's prayer of thanksgiving in First Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16, and in fact, if I can have all of you stand, that's going to be partly for the reading of God's word, but that's going to be a couple minutes, um, will also just help us to, to have a moment to stand. Um, 1 Chronicles 16, I was reading the context of this chapter earlier this week, and it's in chapter 11 that David had been appointed king, and then actually chapters 11 and 12 of 1 Chronicles made me think of this group, made me think of all of you, because those are the chapters that contain the description of the mighty men of Israel who join David. And it records the things that these individuals uh, did in serving the Lord. This one killed hundreds of Philistines. This one struck down a lion in a pit in the snow. I read that this week. Just, I'd never seen that before. Like this was this person's accomplishment. Apparently struck down a lion in a pit in the snow. You know, that's his, uh, that's his mighty deed. There were ones who were skilled with a bow and could shoot arrows and sling stones with either hand, we're told. These ones were experienced warriors uh, with shield and spear. There were young men of valor. There were men who had understanding of the times that that phrase is used there. There were tribes, we're told, who had singleness of purpose. There's one point where it says, so this is a few chapters earlier, where it says the least of these great warriors was a match for a hundred men and the greatest was a match for a thousand. And I thought, that's who I'm speaking to. That's this group that is is gathered here. I'm surrounded by heroes. And, um, and so Dave Fournier, thank you for leading us in singing, not only today, but uh, as you so often do. Dan, thank you for your prophetic word and for using that gift, not just tonight, but over the years and over the decades. 
Tim and Cindy, thank you for the, what was it, 36 years of service in a particular role. I thank God for you, Kim and Lee. Thank you for your evangelism and discipleship and friendship. And the stories could be multiplied. Um, this is what, what God has done. And it says, in fact, that their hearts were joined to each other in serving the Lord. And it says that there was a great army like an army of God. So all of that is in chapters 11 and 12. And it does indeed bring this army that is assembled here this night to mind the men and women who have done and are doing such great things in serving the Lord. Then in chapter 13, it was a failed attempt to bring the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. But in chapter 15, it was a success. And here in this passage that I will read, I'm not going to have you stand for the entire sermon, don't worry. But I have had you standing now, and you will stand if you are able through the reading of the text. Uh, Here in chapter 15, it was a success bringing the ark of the Lord into the city of David. And so there is this great solemn and festive occasion. There are singers and warriors, servants and leaders bringing the ark of the covenant with joyful shouting and loud music. The last verse of chapter 15 shows King David dancing and rejoicing. And then he in chapter 16, leads the people of Israel to do the same. And so, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we will read the first 36 verses. Our sermon title is Gratitude for God. This is God's holy and authoritative word. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings for God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke to thank and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemeramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah, And Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. 
his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number and of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation. And gather and deliver us from among the nations. That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed Be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. And now you may finally be seated. I assume that most of us have memories in our own lives of festive occasions, joyful ceremonies. There are those times in our lives that are moments of thankfulness and praise, moments of celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God, moments of feasting and joy and singing and gratitude. In my own life, I think of my wedding ceremony. I think of the Sunday service in this room when I remember being installed as a pastor. Uh, I think of the celebration 
at the end of my daughter's chemotherapy. I think of my 40th birthday party with some friends. Joyful moments. Uh, moments of celebration. Well, First Chronicles 16, which we have just read, is one of the great celebrations among the people of God in all of Scripture. And what makes this a moment of such joyful thanksgiving is the presence of God among his people. It is not just an occasion of gratitude to God. It is an occasion of gratitude for God. And in fact, our sermon title tonight is not gratitude to God, though that would be appropriate. It is gratitude for God. There is Rejoicing in the Lord. There is thanking God for dwelling among his people. The Lord had come near them and he and his presence was more than enough to satisfy them completely. They brought the ark of God, this great symbol of the presence of God, and they set it in the tent. They made offerings to the Lord. King David, we're told, blesses the people. That is a preview of the greater blessing that was to come from the greater, the true and better King David, our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 3, David generously distributes food gifts to every man and woman in all of Israel, bread and meat and cake, we're told, for each one. Someone said that this is the David diet, bread, meat, cake, sign me up. You know, this is what he gives to each person in Israel. And then in verse 4, King David appoints Levites as ministers, led by Asaph, who will serve daily by the tent. And, and what is their job? What is their ministry, their area of responsibility? Well, their job is, we're told, to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. It is a daily ministry of gratitude. And verse 7 says that it was on that first day that David appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord. And then what follows and what we read is one of the great songs of gratitude in all of Scripture, verses 8 through 36. It appears that there were several psalms that were sung on this occasion. And the author of Chronicles draws from these psalms so that what we read is a combination of parts of Psalm 105, Psalm 106, and Psalm 96. Now, I want you to notice how David's wise and skillful leadership finds expression. Uh, what does it mean to, to serve and to lead others and to have an influence on others? How does King David's leadership find expression? One, he models personal gratefulness to the Lord. And then two, he calls others to join him in giving thanks to the Lord. In other words, he is a leader who has prioritized gratefulness. He says, I am appointing these people for the express purpose of giving thanks to the Lord. And he says, we must be a grateful people for God is a gracious God. What I want us to understand is that this is spiritual leadership at work. I would go so far as to say that this is the most essential part of leadership. Part of the job of a leader in any capacity. Community group, bridge, pastor, deacon, 
parent, ministry team leader, children's ministry worker, all the others, the job description of a leader is to lead the way in expressing thanksgiving to God. In other words, to have a grateful heart. To have a heart that is filled and overflowing with thankfulness to God. There's something more important than your leadership gift. There's something more important than discipline. There's something more important than the planning and excellence that we bring to our leadership and service. Though all of those matter and are of great importance. But not mattering as much as this. The most important quality is our own personal example and practice of gratitude. Giving thanks to the Lord, for the Lord, and leading others into a deeper gratitude for the God who has saved us. Here's the reason we chose this theme of gratitude for this retreat. One reason is that we want, we want each of you to be refreshed in your soul. And the grateful soul is a refreshed soul. So that as we grow in gratefulness and are reminded of the reasons that we have for gratefulness, and as we become more grateful as people, we will experience the refreshment that the Lord has for us. Another reason for this theme is that we need your ongoing help in building a particular kind of culture in the church. We want a culture of gratitude to increasingly spread through the entire church and pastors can't do that on their own. We certainly can't do it just through the preaching of sermons. We as pastors need our wives by our sides modeling a daily gratefulness that is evident to others and we need each of you modeling daily gratefulness in the church. Um, It's not enough to have right theology. We, we also must have a church culture that is deeply shaped by the gospel. Here's how I've, I've thought about this. And you study the theme of gratitude. <laughs> I was talking with Jim just earlier because we've both been in sermon prep studying this theme. You want to talk about experiencing the conviction of sin. Spend some time studying this theme. Uh, each one of us will be convicted of sin. Each one of us has room to grow. Here's... here's My vision, I believe the Lord's vision for the kind of community we ought to be. We want to be a people who wake up in the morning with grateful thoughts being among our first thoughts. And when we place our head on the pillow at night, no matter how difficult the day has been, we want thoughts of gratitude to fill our minds. And we want our fellowship and our friendships to be marked by stories of gratefulness so that we are a refreshing presence to others. Nothing refreshes me more than spending time with grateful people. When I'm talking to someone and he or she is just coming from that place of saying and even sharing, I have so much to be thankful for, immediate, that's the kind of person that I want to spend more time with. Because I need to have them rub off on me. I need to have their gratitude inspire my own. To be moved to see the goodness of God. Moved to gratefulness to God for all of his goodness. A grateful heart ought to come easily. In light of all of God's goodness to us. But sadly it does not. 
The Lord recently convicted me of my own complaining and ingratitude in talking to some friends about my schedule. And I am just amazed at how quickly I lose sight of God, how quickly unbelief influences my outlook on life. This psalm of thanks in 1 Chronicles 16 is a gift from God to make us a more grateful people. And there are a few lessons that we learn here. First, the focus of our gratitude. The focus of our gratitude. And you already know the answer to this and what the focus of our gratitude is. The ark has been brought into Jerusalem. This means the Lord is dwelling with his people and that is what explains their gratitude. They are not thanking God for an object. They are giving thanks for the arrival of God himself. And it is the most important thing in this song, this psalm of praise to the Lord. The most important thing is the joy-filled gratitude for God himself. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, verse 8. What does it mean to give thanks to the Lord? It means, verse 10, to glory in his holy name. The name of God is the character of God, the attributes of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Glory in his holy name. In other words, we're not glorying primarily in the benefits we receive. We are glorying in who God is. And the psalmist then says he seeks the Lord. Verses 10 and 11, what he seeks is the presence of God, nearness to God. Seek the Lord, he repeats. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Not seek his gifts, but seek God himself. Search for him, long for him, be satisfied in him. The ultimate foundation for our gratitude is not the gifts of God, but the glory of God himself. Verse 25, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Verse 27 then speaks of the beauty of God, the joy of his presence, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. Are you in need of strength? Are you in need of joy? All of it is found in the presence of God. Here's what I've realized. Too often when we think about the theme of gratitude, uh, our starting point is all wrong. What are we grateful for? Well, let me count my blessings. A home, a spouse, kids, a nice job, nice weather, vacation, and a thousand other blessings. All good things. All things we ought to give thanks for. But too often, we leave God himself off of the list. And therefore we get started on the entirely wrong track in thinking about a life of gratitude and the nature of thanksgiving biblically. David Powell says thanksgiving in scripture is an act of worship. It's not focused primarily on the benefits received or the blessed condition of a person. Instead, God is the center of thanksgiving. Expressing Gratefulness in scripture is not a matter of politeness. It's a matter of praise. It's not something that falls in the matter, the, the category of, of, of manners. It falls into the category of worship. And the great lesson that we learn from the psalmist is this very point. They are filled with gratitude. They are filled with joy. 
Why? Is it because life is easy? No, it's because they have God himself as their God. And if they have God, they have all they need. Enemies hated them. Friends mistreated them. Trials and pain surrounded them. But they had God. And he is more than enough to fill their hearts with gratefulness. David, what are the good things you are grateful for? Psalm 16, verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David, what's on your bucket list in life? What are some of your desires? What are some of the things that you want for your life? Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David says in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. The focus of our gratitude is God himself. Rob mentioned, John Piper wrote a book on this, God is the Gospel. In that book, he says the best and final gift of God's love is the enjoyment of God's beauty. And he says the ultimate good of the Gospel. In other words, that which we should be most thankful for. The ultimate good of the Gospel is seeing and savoring the beauty and value of God. This is tremendously relevant to this theme of gratitude and cultivating a life of gratitude. Piper writes this in that same book. He says, gratitude that is pleasing to God is not first a delight in the benefits God gives, though that will be a part of it. True gratitude must be rooted in something else that comes first, namely a delight in the beauty and excellency of God's character. And then he gives this example. He says, you would not be honored if I thanked you often for your gifts to me, but had no deep and spontaneous regard for you as a person. You would feel insulted no matter how much I thanked you for your gifts. If your character and personality do not attract me or give me joy in being around you, then you would just feel used like a tool or a machine to produce the things I really love. And then he says, so it is with God. If we are not captured by his personality and character displayed in his saving work, then all our declarations of thanksgiving do not honor him. Gratitude centers on a person. It centers on a delight in the beauty and excellency of Christ. He is the glorious one. He is 
the all-satisfying Savior. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. And so we need to lay this down in our lives as the great and unchanging foundation for all our gratitude and for all our joy. What it all depends on, what it all hangs on is not earthly blessing, but the ability to say, Christ is mine forevermore. And if you can say that, if you have God, you have all you need for gratitude. All you need for abundant gratitude. So how can you cultivate a life of gratitude? I would say don't start with a list. I recommend a list, make a list, but don't start there. We really need, the way I think about this is there's two lists. The one list that I make that I am grateful for is a list of those things that I will lose or I might lose. And then I make a list of that which I'm grateful for that can never be taken from me. And I make that list the foundation for my gratitude. If you don't do that, you do not stand a chance of being a grateful person when sorrows like sea billows roll. Trials are inevitable. Hardship will come. The things that we're grateful for will be taken from us. And what makes all the difference in the world in our response? Will we choose to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Blessed be his name. What makes all the difference is whether we have this foundation of a grateful heart that is grounded on having God himself. Having God and he is enough for us. So I would actually say on that list of things that cannot be taken, here's how to grow in gratitude. One thing to do, study the attributes of God. Study the attributes of God. Make them your list. God belongs to you in all his glory, in all his attributes. They're in fact listed throughout this prayer of thanks. The strength and omnipotence of God, verse 11. The justice of God in all his judgments, verse 12. The greatness of God, verse 25. The beauty of God in all his splendor and majesty, verse 27. The holiness of God, verse 29. The goodness and steadfast love of God, verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Study this God. Seek this God. The focus of our gratitude is the presence of God himself. Second, the fuel of our gratitude. The fuel of our gratitude. And what I have in mind here is... uh, In the imagery, gratitude is a fire and it's a good fire. And there's things that we can throw on the fire, things we can do that contribute as fuel to those fires of gratitude in our heart. For example, one of those things, and we see it in this passage, is gathering with the people of God, which is why we are so serious about the ministry of showing up. I know that this will be talked about later, but I just want to remind you, God manifests his presence He manifests who he is. He manifests his glory in unique ways when we are gathered with the people of God. In ways that he does not manifest his presence when we are alone. And so that's the reason that we want to prioritize the Sunday gathering. That's that's the reason that we especially want you as leaders to do all you can to seek to show up on time. 
you're doing well. This is how culture is created in the church. It's not gonna be by us just constantly reminding the church. It's when you get a group of leaders who are on board and have a vision for something. So embrace the vision of the importance of gathering with the people of God as a means of expressing and cultivating gratitude to God. And I wanted to say this as well and encourage you in this to continue to actively participate and be responsive in the Sunday gatherings. This is one of the things that I love about this church. When C.J. Mahaney recently visited with us, he, he, he emailed me later and he said, okay, Covenant Fellowship is the most responsive congregation that I have observed in Sovereign Grace. He said, this church is such a joy to preach to. And I said, I know. I get to experience it all the time. And he said, how did they get that way? And he was drawing me out about this, and so it had me thinking about this. And I do believe that it is something that God has done. But I love this about us as a church, that you are a, an engaged and responsive congregation. In fact, CJ asked if there were particular passages that encourage congregational responsiveness, and this 1 Chronicles 16 is certainly one of them because it starts at the end of verse uh, of chapter 15 with shouting and then with, so there are some who, who prefer quiet music. We understand that. But look at chapter 15, verse 28, loud music, entirely appropriate, honoring the Lord through it from many instruments and then David dancing and rejoicing and then there's this singing throughout and it ends, verse 36, with all the people saying amen and praising the Lord. So singing and music pours fuel on the fires of our gratitude. These songs were pouring fuel on their gratefulness. Congregational responsiveness promotes this gratefulness. I want to encourage you when we sing, and I hope, uh, who is it that's talking about the gathering of the church? Joseph. Oh, oh yeah, good. You have plenty to say. <laughs> plenty to say. When we sing, sing loudly. When we recite scripture together or recite creeds, I want all of you to say it really loudly. I know, Joseph, when you're ever leading the singing, can you ever hear me up here when, I, when we're... I'm trying to have people in the back be able to hear me. I'm just shouting. But what, I want, what we want is for everyone to join in. I remember someone saying this about their church, is that whenever there is a responsive reading, that just the whole church is just shouting, lifting their voices, praising God. And this is what we are aiming for. So we need some help in the various corners of the building to have that come about. Well, let's continue to be a responsive people as a way to express and cultivate gratefulness to God. Amen. And I'll tell you what, it encourages a preacher like you wouldn't believe. Sometimes people don't realize that when you, if you've never spoken in front of people, you wouldn't know this, that you can actually see like, what everyone is doing. You know, I can see you just as well as you can see me. And so when there's eye contact, when there's nodding, when there's aim, oh, it's such a tremendous encouragement to the preacher. And so I thank God that you're that kind of church. There is a, there is a particular way that we pour fuel on the fires of gratitude that I want to emphasize from this song, and that is the role of remembering. The role of remembering. Verse 12 Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Verse 15, remember his covenant forever. And then verses 16 through 18 basically are saying, remember the promises that God has made. So remember, 
Remember, remember the saving works of God and remember the faithful promises of God. We must remember. Remembering involves an intentional engagement of the mind. Remember what God has done. Remember Christ Jesus. Remember the faithfulness of God to you. Remember his provision through times of blessing and through dark times. Remember his faithfulness. In verses 19 and 20, God says, remember where you came from. Remember your humble beginnings. Few in number, of little account, sojourners. You didn't have riches, he says. You didn't have a home. You didn't have great comforts, but you had God. And God has done great things for you, and he is enough. Remember. When, when Megan and I travel, and we uh, enjoy making it to national parks, we uh, often will look to pick up a souvenir of some kind, a, a, a mug or a glass that reminds us of that trip. And so when I take out of the cabinet in our kitchen the uh, Zion National Park glass out of the cabinet uh, to drink a pint of water, <laughs> I, I remember, I remember Zion, I remember being there, and, and in remembering it fuels gratefulness. Remembering stirs gratitude. Memory is a tool that God intends to function in cultivating gratefulness. This is one of the most important words in all of Scripture. In all of your Bible reading, just start to look for it. The word remember. I commend to you a biblical study of that command. Read Deuteronomy in particular and just note each command to remember. It, this is perhaps the most crucial and consequential command in all of Scripture. We think that we need to go about doing more all of the time. It could be that some of us need to do more. The greater need is likely to remember. This command to remember what God has done. It runs all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of my death. Remember, don't forget. Never forget that I have bought you with my blood, says the Lord. Never forget that you are loved with an everlasting love. Remember Remember, and that call then overflows into the New Testament in many places. Ephesians 2, verse 12, for example. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love the command of 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Well, apparently we're inclined to forget him. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember. Why the command? Because every one of us is inclined to forget. Deeply inclined to forget. The, the threats to our gratitude this is what I've been thinking about. What are the things that stand in the way of, of gratitude? And there are many. We face trials of many kinds. It threatens our gratefulness. We see the, the evil of society all around us. So that if you want to be a negative person, our culture provides endless content to draw from and to talk about. Uh, there's the prevalence of a culture of outrage. 
there's, there's the sheer busyness of life where we're moving so quickly that we never pause to practice gratitude. There's our sense of entitlement that if we have worked hard and served the Lord, look at what I've done for so many decades, that there are certain things that we deserve from him. There is envy and comparison constantly reminding us of all the really nice things that we don't have. There is the emotionally driven life that stands as a great hindrance to gratefulness. What I mean by that is this, if we leave gratitude to the whim of our emotional state, gratitude will be pushed out every single day by anxiety and by stress and by discouragement and by a thousand other things that tend to rule our emotions. But one of the greatest threats to our gratefulness is simply forgetfulness. The danger of forgetting. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Take care. Take care lest you forget and fail to remember. I was reminded of this Os Guinness quote that I wanted to share with you. This is from his book, God in the Dark. He has a chapter, Forgetting to Remember. And in thinking of this theme of remembrance, I was reminded of it. It's a little bit longer than a quote I would normally share, but it's a bonus quote for you as leaders. He says, the theme of of remembering with its twin truth of giving thanks is inseparable from faith in the Bible. Hey, the theme of remembering with its twin truth of giving thanks is inseparable from faith in the Bible. The man or woman of faith is the one who remembers and the one who remembers is the one who gives thanks. Unbelief, on the other hand, has a short and ungrateful memory. God help us, keep us from unbelief, from a short and ungrateful memory. Guinness says, Martin Luther laid stress on the old Latin proverb, nothing ages more quickly than gratitude. At times he would brood gloomily as he thought of the future course of the Reformation. This is Luther, the ingratitude and the irreverence of the world terrify me. Therefore, I fear that this light will not long endure. Guinness says, fortunately for us, the spiritual and cultural vitality of the Reformation outlived Luther's estimate, but we must not ignore his warning. And then he says this sentence, and it's, this is what I've been thinking about. Why is it that movements of spiritual renewal last no longer than the third generation? Isn't it partly because we forget so soon? Keeping alive a grateful memory is a spiritual art. Ideally, the ministry of remembering, this is so beautiful, the ministry of remembering should be a bright thread running through all our Christian living, individually, corporately, publicly, privately, in the quiet moment of intimate prayer, as well as in the open statements of public thanksgiving for single people, for couples, for families, for churches, for communities, and for nations. As followers of Christ, we would do well to live by the motto, nothing taken for granted, everything received with gratitude, everything passed on with grace. Make that your motto. 
Nothing taken for granted. Everything received with gratitude. Everything passed on with grace. And then he ends by saying this. There are endless possibilities for specific ways and moments of remembering. For lifting our hearts in praise to God. We all need to take gratitude more seriously than we do. Every one of us. I need to take gratitude more seriously than I do. You need to take gratitude more seriously than you do. Remembering is a spiritual discipline. It is, it is a spiritual art. And memory is a weapon in the battle for gratitude. You need this weapon. History, the history of God's faithfulness awakens gratitude in our hearts. And it builds faith. For the future. So I just encourage you, apply it to your own life, individually, your own relationship with God. Remember your past. Remember what you once were. Remember what God rescued you from. Apply this discipline of remembering in your marriage and your family. I've done marriage counseling at times when it's just all conflict. And I've spent the whole first meeting just not talking about the conflict at all, but saying, how did you first fall in love? What were you first attracted to about each other? What was your wedding day like? To remember, to remember what has been forgotten. Cultivate this practice in marriage and in family. Remember how God has guided you and helped you and matured you and shown his faithfulness in countless ways and apply this discipline of remembering in the life of the church. We are coming up on our 40th anniversary next year. And every year I think about this because I, each October that comes around, thank God for another year of his faithfulness. We don't normally on an annual basis make a big deal out of our anniversary, but in light of it being in even 10 years and in light of where we are in the history of our church, we do want to take time next year to thank God for his faithfulness to us these 40 years. To, To remember the story of what God has done, to have memory fuel gratitude so that by the grace of God, this work of spiritual renewal might last well beyond the third generation, long into the future for the glory of God. The fuel of our gratitude is remembering what God has done. And then last and finally, the future of our gratitude. I want to make a point here about these closing verses, the future of our gratitude. This is verses 35 and 36, where the grateful heart in the midst of praising and thanking God for who he is, the splendor of his majesty, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The grateful heart looks to the future. Because this is the way it works. Saying thank you for past mercies leads us to ask for future mercies. Verse 35. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation. And gather and deliver us from among the nations. That, what is that? That's a prayer for future help and future deliverance through the difficulties that lie ahead. The kingdom would be divided. The people would be taken into captivity. So they pray for a future deliverance. Save us, O God, gather, deliver. And here is the goal. That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. 
So notice there, the gratitude in view is a future gratitude that comes in response to future grace. God will help his people, and when he does, we will give thanks to his holy name. Verse 36, blesses God from everlasting to everlasting, remembering that this eternal God, who has been gracious to us in the past, who has been so good to us all our days, will continue. He himself will continue to be a source of grace and help in the future. God promises to us what he promised to Moses long ago in Exodus 33 verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Whatever awaits, God himself says, I will go with you. I will be with you as your God. The future of our gratitude is as certain as God's future grace. And because we know his presence will be with us all our days, because we know that he will give us rest and sustain us, because we know that our future involves giving thanks to God's holy name for the deliverance he works, we can bless his name and give thanks now, follow this, for the future victory And the future grace that is to come. Gratefulness now for future deliverance. That gratitude will come in the future, yes, and it comes in the present. This is exactly what Paul does at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says the day is coming when the saying shall come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, there's the gratitude, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're giving thanks today for a victory that will surely come on that final day when Christ returns. Praising God now, thanking him now for the deliverance that is to come. Charles Spurgeon says, this is how to deal with God. Praise him before you are delivered. Praise him for what is coming. Adore him for what he is going to do. I do not think there is a sweeter song in God's ear than the song of one who blesses him for grace that has not yet been tasted, who blesses him for answers that have not yet been received but are sure to come. The praise for past gratitude is sweet, but even sweeter is the praise of full confidence that all will be well. I love the account in 2 Chronicles 20 of the victory song of the people of God that they sing before the battle. Not just singing after the victory, but singing before it. The Moabites and the Ammonites were coming against Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. The enemy was a great multitude. Jehoshaphat prayed, thanking God for his greatness and his past deliverance. It's all in 2 Chronicles 20. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then we're told that all of the people of Judah gathered. And the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I feel like I need Dan to tell this story. He would do it better. The next morning, the next morning, they went into war, and Jehoshaphat called them to faith. 
He said, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And then Jehoshaphat did this. He appointed singers to go before the army and they sang as they went into battle and their song was this, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's before the battle. John Piper calls this ambushing Satan with song. (laughs) They knew without a doubt, because God had said it, that the battle was the Lord's. So they went forth singing. They went forth giving thanks before the battle had even been won. And what happened? The enemy panicked. The Lord fought for them. And the enemy was destroyed. Brothers and sisters, gratitude is our battle song. Gratitude is our greatest weapon. And we yield this weapon even before the battle, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. We will give thanks to his holy name and glory in his praise. We will go on doing so all our lives and for all eternity. And one day we will join the living creatures of Revelation 4 verse 9 who give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. And we will join the 24 elders in Revelation eleven seventeen, who fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Because his goodness endures forever, our grateful praises must go on forever. Oh, may God make us starting with me and the work that needs to be done in my own heart and spreading to each one of us. May God make us increasingly a grateful people, a people grateful for God himself, a people who lift loud cries of blessing and amens like God's people of old, a people who seek after God, who honor the Lord with grateful hearts, whatever comes our way, every joy, every loss, every blessing, every trial. We bless the name of the Lord with grateful hearts. Why? Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine and he is our all in all. This is God's great desire for the leaders and servants of Covenant Fellowship. We are the people of the new Jerusalem who enjoy God's presence, not in the ark, but in Christ himself. And we have been blessed not by King David, but by King Jesus. And he has called us to a life of unending thanksgiving and praise. And here's the thing that I kept thinking about. If the Israelites had reason to sing because God brought them out of Egypt and had brought them into the land, we have far greater reason to sing today because God has rescued us from sin and death through the blood of Christ and has brought us near to God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. The focus of our gratitude is the presence of God himself. The fuel of our gratitude is remembering what God has done. And the future of our gratitude is as certain as God's future grace. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Glory in his holy name, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen.